Hallelujah. Oh. From Raleigh, North Carolina, welcome to the CMC Show, the show that gives GIS a voice. Hi, I'm Tom. And I'm Eric. And this is episode 33 of the CMC Show. So since the last time we sort of got together and did this, um, I think I was about to go a few places, and you have been a few places since we last chatted as well, correct? Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, where, where did you go? I was in Georgia for a, a internal company meeting uh, discussing different things that we were going to do with mobile technology. And then I was also down at the NCAUG conference. Mm-hmm. And then also from the family side, we did some camping. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, we went out to uh, Jordan Lake and stayed on the lake for a, a weekend. It was really great. Okay, yeah, I've done that before. Yeah. Yeah, Jordan's a nice nice little thing to have in your backyard. So is Falls. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And it wasn't too I, hot? Uh, the one night it was like wicked stuffy. And then all the kids were like, oh, my God. And then, uh, but the next night was wonderful. So that was, that was really nice treat to have a nice wind blowing experience, but it was really unnerving to wake up. We had the fly on top of the tent, you know, which is, we knew there wasn't any rain coming, but a front came through and man, you know, when you're not expecting the wind to be blowing through your tent, cause you feel like you're sleeping at home mm-hmm. <laughs> and you wake yeah. up to this like front rolling through with just a tremendous amount of wind. It, it really like you wake up, you're like, Oh my gosh, what's going on? Reach for the phone and look for the radar. <laughs> it, it was pretty funny, but yeah, it was really great. Well, I was going to ask you about oh, your, uh, sure. your, your mobile technology thing. Cause I thought that's like, what are you, what are you guys doing? Is this like a KCI thing? Yeah, it's a, it's a combination of um, the Georgia department of transportation is looking to do some data capture. Also uh, Duke energy, um, putting our guys in the field and we're looking at a couple of different applications to do that. Uh, and you know, for simple stuff, it's not anything too complex, but you know, when we're talking through the different types of, uh, end users sort of like boiling it down to like a fixed set of like six or seven fields that can answer questions and a platform that can handle, um, cross platform sort of out of the box. And so we've, uh, we've settled on, Go Canvas. So we use Go Canvas, and the nice part about that is that, like I was saying, it's sort of a cross-platform. We were using uh, Open Data Kit for a while, and oh that's yeah, mainly Android-based. Yeah, mainly Android-based. Uh, and while it worked fine, it's the technology that um, the uh, Survey One Two Three is built upon. Mm-hmm. And so people have seen familiar with that. ODK was sort of the predecessor uh, using XForms, mm-hmm. and what is nice about Go Canvas is it kind of is not an Esri product, which to me is fine. It can be Esri, it cannot be Esri. But the thing that's nice about it is it allows you to do all the same kind of things that an Esri product does, but it's much more, uh, it, it, it allows you to do a lot more easily in terms of form building. So a lot of users can come in and create forms really quickly tied to a workflow and tied to a specific type of activity that doesn't have to be spatially based. So you don't need a GPS point. You can add one if you want. Um, you can look at GIS data if you want, but it's really tied to just a workflow in general. So a lot of data that gets captured by folks is not necessarily tied to a spatial 
you know, component while probably should be, it doesn't have to be. And so it's a really great product for that. Um, just in general, it, it covers both bases, covers all platforms and it's a really nice fit and you can tie an external GPS to it. Um, and so that's been pretty good too. So we've been experimenting with that off and on. Okay. Well, that's cool. Yeah. And that, so we went to Georgia, that went down to Georgia to, to work with them a little more tightly on it. Okay. So is that something you guys are uh, like actively rolling out right now then? Uh, no, it's something that we are still in the, the testing phase because most of the people who were doing the work had to go down south for the for the hurricane repair. Oh, yeah. Um, so everybody was like, oh, see you later. <laughs> so like, okay, we'll shelf that project for a little while. <laughs> yeah, speaking, speaking of hurricane repair, um, being in the satellite business that I am in now, and frankly, the remote sensing industry that I'm in, uh, we have had a, uh, a lot of inquiries and uh, uh, possible, uh, some that actually turned into uh, business leads uh, just off of, you know, people want to people want to know what's going on. People want to be able to, you know, do their insurance adjustment and you know see the damage and and check on their on their homes and their their property and um, you know there was there was a lot of I mean you had Harvey and then you had Irma and then you had Maria and it just you know with the earth the two earthquakes in Mexico it was just like one thing after the other. Um, just a lot of uh, uh, folks, you know, hitting hitting me at TerraServer with uh, inquiries on, you know, well, I want to see my house at, you know, right after this area, you know, right after this event has happened, and um, I want to see, you know, what happened to the coastline and uh, see where like all the erosion took place and stuff like that. So, um, a lot of good opportunities for uh, some analysis as well. So, I learned about a, a uh, algorithm. Um, that maybe some listeners have heard of, but it's uh, instead of NDVI, which is like uh, normalized differential vegetation index, there's actually one, it's called the uh, NDWI, um, and what W is for water. And so basically um, NDVI looks for like, uh, you know, changes in like green vegetation and, and stuff through like uh, that, that IR band. And then, um, the, the, the W actually looks for uh, changes in water. So in other words, if you're looking at a satellite image of an area and on one, in, on, on one image you run NDWI and then on another image taken of the same area after the event has happened, you then have uh, sort of a compare contrast uh, if you're able to do change detection beyond just the basic algorithm uh, where you can just basically check and then have to sort of hold the images side by side or use like one of those, you know, out of the box swipe tools or something like that. Sure. Um, you know, it actually presents a, a kind of a neat uh, story of sort of what happened and what areas were affected and, and stuff like that. So we had been asked um, kind of like what the possibilities were for us to go out, collect imagery on that sort of analysis and, and sort of deliver back a, a result where um, we would sort of be the, uh, the tip of the spear, as, as it were, like with the, with the primary investigation kind of starting with us. And then um, based on those kind of hotspot areas that had a lot of uh, change detection that sort of lit up would be uh, potentially where an insur insurance adjuster or um, 
you know, somebody with a drone or something would kind of go in and get more of the, uh, the finite, uh, what exactly happened, how bad was the damage kind of deal. And um, that so, those areas would also be uh, just, they, they could be areas that were completely underwater. So obviously don't need to send a drone there. Don't need to send an insurance guy there because obviously that's a total and catastrophic loss versus an area that's sort of, sort of impacted versus areas that were completely untouched. It's amazing how much money you can actually save by just eliminating areas that you have to search. <laughs> yeah. That's been one of the things in the project we're working on for the DOT right now. That's been very, very much at the forefront is knowing where something is, is great, but knowing where it's not is just as helpful. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And being able to eliminate that before you put boots on the ground saves a ton of time and money. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really great. So have you, have you seen, uh, an uptick in sales or just an uptick in inquiries? Uh, definitely inquiries. Um, only a few have resulted in a sale. Um, unfortunately, uh, getting uh, imagery that's up to date and over a large area at high resolution comes with a lot of restrictions, whether they be financial or uh, just straight out licensing, just with the way that the imagery is is sort of sold to the end user. Right. Um, as, as a kind of a, we're essentially a middleman with TerraServer. It's sort of a, a pass through essentially from a satellite partner to the end user. And a lot of the clients coming in are looking to resell again, or they're looking to, um, you know, use this imagery in, in some sort of uh, external use, like broadcast type, type uh, uh, purpose. And that's technically um, not allowed unless they have a license in, to do that, that they have to usually pay for on top of that. Right. And, and a lot of instances, it's actually prohibited um, until things can sort of be uh, renegotiated with that particular satellite vendor. Um, on the other hand, there's other, there's other companies out there that are a little bit less restrictive and a little bit more open to having um, this sort of imagery used for, you know, insurance and adjusters and stuff like that. But the resolution is something that you would not be able to get as uh, good of an image on uh, just because the satellites that they have aren't as good or are, are used in uh, other capacities, stuff like that. So we ran into that a bunch. And then we also ran into obviously the, the high cost um, it depending, you know, if it's, you know, Joe Schmo homeowner, you know, they're not going to pay several grand for an image, even with analysis. Um, they just want to see what happened to their house. They want to see if the roof is right, open, right. You know, or, or something like that. And so, you know, those, those are actually, um, I got a lot more of those sort of inquiries, just like, Hey, I want to see my house. Hey, I don't know what's going on with my family in Puerto Rico, stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, we tried to help what, you know, whoever we could and, 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 try to serve them imagery but with the way that it's ordered being an offline order which is something that cannot be purchased online and it can't be purchased um unless it's at least 15 days old it's a lot more expensive if they want it like the day after the storm and then we'd also run into um just sort of mother nature uh as a a storm exits the area especially for a hurricane usually, you know, the next day or so is usually like a really clear day, but it takes a while to get to that point. And so as the storm exits, the damage is done, but it's still kind of cloudy. And so people are asking for imagery like that very next day. And when in reality, we won't have a clear shot for another two or three days. So that was also, 
And by then the person has already sort of figured out, well, you know, my neighbor who still lives down there, I was able to get a call through or, um, you know, I was just able to figure out that um, the, my area is fine. I no longer need the image. So we got a lot of that. So, yep. Gotcha. That's interesting. Yeah. I always wondered kind of how it would play out in terms of, um, you know, or agencies coming to you and just buying like lots of data or was it like, mm-hmm. you know, inquiries from like local little, 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 you know, mom and pop places or just yeah. individuals. Yeah. So, de- so definitely both. Um, and I think though, one of the other, the other things that happens when these events happen, uh, some of the satellite vendors that we work with have these, um, these open area, uh, like, uh, it's like a portal essentially where the imagery is, uh, shot recently over an area that just went under a, uh, some sort of a catastrophic, a catastrophic event. So whether it was the earthquake or hurricane or something else, um, and then it's offered up on the web to anyone and, and everyone for free. And so of course that's a great service to Joe Schmo user. It's sort of bad for business. <laughs> I'm sure you can imagine. Yeah, I totally get that. <laughs> but on the other hand, the imagery that is coming through that particular means comes with extremely limiting licensing restrictions. So it would really only service somebody who wanted to see their home right after that, right after the fact. And the imagery usually is coming in raw. And so it's not necessarily orthorectified or it's all mosaic together, but it, it has like a seam line and maybe it's not, you can't um, geo-reference it. So you would basically just get a huge, like I remember the, the perfect example was when right after Harvey, they released free imagery and they were literally like, well, here's the entire Texas coast. Ha- good luck finding your house. I mean, like, unless you have any sort of, you know, oh, I, I recognize that pond over there, you know, but that pond is probably like filled with water, like, you know, beyond recognition now. It just, it, it wasn't exactly what I would call usable data for, for, for a lot of folks. But it, it, but again, it was free. So, you know, right, right. <laughs> you get what you pay for, I guess. Yeah, that you do. Yeah, but I mean, for us in the geospatial industry, we're kind of like, oh, it's great. Let me have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> man. Yeah, uh, the whole the whole entire Harvey, you know, Irma thing was quite unsettling. I think for a lot of folks, mm-hmm. just in terms of damage done and you know being able to provide people like some kind of context for the amount of damage is just probably near impossible. You know, because you know they're so widespread now mm-hmm. at this point with three of those suckers coming through. Yeah. Probably hard for anybody to have a handle on it, you know, just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's just, it's, it's interesting how I remember back in 2005 with Katrina, um, that year, it just seemed like they were just coming right off a conveyor belt off of Africa, you know, or farming right there in the Gulf and just dumping right on you know, the coast or whatever. But, you know, Harvey was interesting because it happened to hit like the fourth most populated city in the country. You know, and then Irma basically was just like, just bulldozed like all of Florida and you know a lot of islands and stuff, and and then of course like Maria just, they said that people in Puerto Rico may not have power for like months and months and months now because I yeah, mean they still don't have power got, this, as of this morning. Like well, they zero, got brushed, zero power. <laughs> yeah, no, I know, and I mean they got brushed by uh, Irma 
you know, a couple of weeks earlier. And they were saying like this one person on NPR was saying how like they had uh, just gotten power back on like Monday and then Wednesday, this, um, Maria came through and knocked it out again. So like they <laughs> literally had power for like two days. It's disheartening. Yeah. Golly, I'd be yeah, going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So. They were saying that uh, in some of the islands too, that got devastated. It's like becoming a little bit like Thunderdome, you know, where like people are trying to find food and it's like, you know, most primal situation in some circumstances. It's like, Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. how quickly things can devolve. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like even, you know, you with your water supply and all your preparedness, I mean, yeah. you can last like what, a couple of weeks, but not, yeah. a couple, not a couple months. Tops. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like well, that's just to get you through in case something happens. Yeah. But it's not like one of those things where you could last more than a couple of weeks without going on public assistance or, mm-hmm. you know, like getting water from the, um, you know, from those who would come in or like actually migrating to another part of the, con- the continent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's probably what we would do. We'd probably just look at which family members <laughs> were not hit and then migrate yeah. that way for a few yeah. days. I'm sure a lot of people did that, you know, and uh, these people that were asking me for imagery, um, you could tell were either family, neighbors, or the people that actually lived in those homes that evacuated that now are, you know, sitting somewhere else, uh, kind of watching from afar, wondering what's going on. So. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. It's almost like back in um, the the forties when like one of the uh, this is a terrible um, comparison to make, but I think it's somewhat valid. <laughs> when um, in Japan, when one of the cities were had been bombed from um, our you know the uh, nuclear bombing, they had no idea what had happened. You know because the communication was down. There's no power, mm-hmm. and so they actually had to fly a plane over it. Mm-hmm. To be like, oh my goodness, then look what happened, you know. And mm-hmm. it's the same way. It's kind of like they're reaching out to you to be like, oh my goodness, can you tell me what happened? Yeah. Fly a satellite over there and tell me if the house is still there. Yeah. Yep. It's just tragic, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a nice cheery topic. Well, you know, that's what's <laughs> been going on. I mean, choose that or politics, right? <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to talk about politics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure people are sick and tired of hearing about it. I can't even watch the NFL now without politics. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm taking a knee right now as we're talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, no, I mean, half, half of your hometown team was on their knee uh, during the game in London. I know, like Baltimore was Baltimore was quite. Uh, quite involved in the whole thing as well yeah and yeah it's just it's something to behold you know like it's amazing the 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 crap storm that a president can bring to a situation when he chimes in you know it's just like good or bad you know it's Mm -hmm. it's just the authority itself the office really brings the weight well the opinion the opinion whether or not you like it 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 just seems to matter you know because of who they are yeah yeah, it's good thing they don't have an opinion on satellite imagery (laughs) <laughs> well, they just don't share it <laughs> yeah right. uh yeah but in um in, in my world we went to the ncaug um conference just you uh just me um being that uh we being just me yeah thanks because well, it's really just just, just, just me making right sure <laughs> you said we <laughs> i did say we i'm kind of met kci in general uh-huh. sense of representative Mm-hmm. me yeah so it was it was good i i really enjoyed the conference this year for those of you who don't know i'm sure you, most of you do but it's the north carolina ArcGIS users conference and it's down in carolina beach it's their annual conference and so it was a good uh time out 
I went uh, for one day, uh, pretty much from open to close. There was a training day ahead of uh, um, the day I was there. And then on the day after, we're in, um, I didn't, there was a couple more presentations the following morning, but I had to get back here and actually uh, do some work. But the, uh, the, uh, the conference was really great. They had a few sessions that I attended and I can talk a little bit about those. Sure. Um, to just to brief you on some of the things that we encountered. Um, but uh, on that Thursday morning, which was last Thursday, the, uh, the ones that I really enjoyed were this first they discussed uh, insights for ArcGIS. And I don't know if you've seen that tool yet. I have. And, and what was your experience with it so far? I have never used it. I, I saw more in like a demo capacity. So okay. um, it's just... Uh, uh, where were they doing that? Actually, you and I saw it um, when when I was still with KCI, and we went to the uh, the fall uh, user uh, seminar down there. And yeah, downtown. downtown. They were yeah. talking a lot about it. We're kind of doing like um like uh, it was actually ironically enough, they were doing remote sensing with it, where yeah. basically they were um, choosing you know this is a road, this is a yard, this is a pool, and then tell me how many pools are in the subdivision and then it can just like boom spit out an answer. So, which is something that has been able to been done for a while now, but not exactly um, is widely commercially available and easy to use as what Esri has now offered. Yeah. It was interesting to finally hear some opinions from the masses on the product itself. I think the overriding feel for it, was uh, one of it's not matured yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I, was, I gathered that when I saw it the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it was it's interesting the way the product is set up with um, I guess you call it like cards, essentially to pull out and do a bit of analysis or you know information gathering or interrogation uh, the data in a variety of different fashions with different um, types of um, views into the data. It was really neat. Um, and um, Ezra did their first uh, demo of it, which was um, a fellow named Jay. And he did a great job. It was, you know, fairly informative, just kind of like a run through. And then uh, Laura Wilson from GIS Inc. did the, the next run through. And she talked a lot about, you know, how you work with data and how it's, um, uh, it's, it's a new way of looking at it. It's pretty neat. Uh, but the, the one that really caught my eye at the end was uh, a lady named Lucy Brady works for Amec Foster Wheeler. She did a, a comparison between Insights and Power Builder. And I actually caught up with her afterwards for a little while. And it was an interesting conversation because um, Power Builder is a little bit more mature of a product. Uh, it allows you to pull data in from a variety of different sources, um, including um, JSON feeds from uh, Ezra. So you like save the data down in JSON format or whatever. And the functionality of power builder seems to me to be a little bit more along the lines of the common everyday user where arc insights is more tailored to the enterprise and you're hooked to what i would consider the uh the the, the enterprise data set you know like you're you, it doesn't work very well with services yet it's more functionality with um drawing data right out of the, your uh, your database connections uh, and so it was, it was interesting. I thought that the, the combination of those three presentations gave you a really good handle on what the product was. And I mean, I think it's a good product, you know, from if you take it for what it is, sort of like an early product coming out. And it'll be interesting to see if they 
are able to keep it going. Um, and, uh, or if some of the other products that are out there like power builder or nine or something like that kind of cover bases that it can't, but that, you know, it was really interesting. And then I, I sat in our panel discussion, which talked about, um, some of you the, you were on the panel. No, I sat in oh, on okay. the discussion. Gotcha. And, um, it talked about the, the, the state of GIS and some of the, uh, some of the other things like being on a board and why it's important. And that was a really informative discussion in terms of, I think there's a lot of discussion going on right now at the state level regarding um, the level to which GIS professionals fit into a particular group or not, um, especially within the surveying community. Mm-hmm. And there, so that, that discussion is happening and it's somewhat contentious at times. And there was some discussion on that. Um, and there isn't really a clear you know, path forward, but um, how that plays out will be interesting to hear. I don't have a whole lot more off on that because I kind of caught the, the beginning of that, but it seems like there's been um, a couple of meetings um, that have occurred where uh, the professional land surveying um, sort of rigor is trying to be sort of like applied to the functioning activities of a GIS professional and how they don't quite line up well with one another. And, you know, if you're just trying to map a wetland in one way, you don't have to map it the same way you would if you're going to map it with surveying, you know, and it's just very interesting. So, you know, that was, that was out there. And, um, in the afternoon, uh, which, which was pretty neat. I sat in on, um, a, a really interesting discussion, uh, by a student who was in Chapel Hill his name was, um, Vishnu as his first name. And, um, it was really interesting. Um, the, the university sent him to, I believe it was Finland to work with a company that was a, in the startup realm and they were handling mobility as a service, which was really interesting in the sense of, um, sort of purchasing a suite of credits that would allow you to ride a bus, get off the bus, get on a bike, get off the bike, hail a cab to make it to your destination. And so he talked about the the concept of the last mile, which a lot of us know where, you know, that's sort of the tough, the tough area, like how far are people willing to walk to get to public transportation? Mm-hmm. And he went through the entire discussion of how, with mobility as a service, you know, it allows them to bridge that gap to get back to their house or, you know, reduce the distance that someone has to walk, you know? So that was interesting. Did you, uh, kind of spinning off on it real quick. Uh, did you ever hear about the, uh, the green bikes that they, uh, they're basically, I guess, piloting, um, for, uh, it's like around NC state's campus. No. So, um, they're at least at NC State's campus. They have a, a, um, sort of a fleet of these bikes. I don't know how many exactly. And I also don't know if they're just within the NC State campus or if they're a little bit beyond that or what the story is. But basically, um, it's kind of like a, the zip car idea where, you know, you walk up to a car that is um, unlocked, you get in the car, you swipe your credit card or whatever, and you drive off and then you drop the car and, and whatnot. Yeah, I'm, you've heard of zip car right yeah 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 okay so this is kind of like that except that it's free um but what you're basically uh contributing is your data 
So you'll get on the bike and you'll basically be like, you'll either log in or essentially like say, Hey, I'm Eric or Hey, I'm Tom. And you know, I want to, you know, I want to take the bike out. And so you unhook it and off you go. And then it's got like a, all these uh, tracking mechanisms, like either on the bike or built into the bike or something. And it's just a regular bike that you would pedal. But it, the idea is it's providing you uh, free, easy, you know, transportation around places to get, you know, and you're getting your exercise, I suppose. But um, then they apparently are going to take that data and then use it to, I don't know, build better like transportation routes or use that, use that information in some sort of fashion um, and uh, sort of grow the, the system. Um, they had something very similar uh, when I was in Denver. Um, now I didn't use it, but they had them kind of just like lined up in these, these bike corrals. And that's the other thing is uh, there's, I guess, a bunch of stations set up where uh, – these bikes sort of uh, can be, uh, you know, taken from and then replaced back to. So it's yeah, kind of how it works. and it was very interesting in the in this uh, fellow's presentation. Um, he had kind of laid out potential places to put these items, um, exactly like you say, um, places to dock your bike, and then uh, places to get a bike. Uh-huh. And um, it was really interesting to see the density that you have to have in order for the program to be successful. Versus, you know, putting like, let's say put 12 around the city when really you might need, you know, twice or three times that amount, Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, how much you want to, you know, see your population, you know, doing the activity that's more environmentally friendly. So it was really interesting. You know, it really is a fascinating thing. Mm -hmm. Um, On a side note, did you see that Baltimore, uh, (laughs) Baltimore had to stop their program because people were stealing the bikes and destroying them. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. I was like, stay, stay classy, Baltimore. <laughs> That's great. My, my hometown in full, in full, full glory. <laughs> yeah. Just destroying the environmentally sensitive bicycle sharing program. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so I, I attended another uh, session after that, which was on um, the geospatial science um, and uh, basically was a really interesting kind of look into is geospatial um, itself a discipline or is it an accompanying uh, set of skills and tools that people bring to the table to help them do their job better? And it was just a, a discussion. There was no answer that was given. But I thought that uh, the fellow who gave it, a fellow named Andrew, was really well, well thought out arguments in the sense of um, exposing to both sides, like what, uh, what level of person do you hire for a particular type of job? You know, where some people might hire like a bachelor's degree, others can hire at the, you know, at the, at the high school level to get a job done. You know, when does that come into play? It was, that was really interesting. And then finally I sat in on a LIDAR set of discussions with um, uh, quantum spatial gave a discussion of how they do what they do when they capture um, LIDAR data from the sky and that was really interesting because I don't know if you guys have talked about it on your end um, being that do you guys do you guys work with LIDAR data over there at all I can't yeah, remember we actually uh, we hired a guy um, maybe since our last podcast if not within the last two podcasts for sure uh, that is a like that's all he does is LIDAR he's like a LIDAR guy and um, we've, we've been collecting LIDAR for a while but 
to truth be told, like we didn't really know what to do with it for a while. Um, or at least like how, how exactly it could be used. It was something that sometimes like a customer would just want in the end that we just, you go fly it, collect it, deliver it. But now we go fly it, collect it, analyze it, you know? So uh-huh. yeah, because we have this person, um, I don't ever touch it personally. Um, you're not going to get a light off the satellite, but <laughs> yeah, right. um, you know, so, but yeah. Yeah. There's a, uh, I'm, I'm looking through my, uh, my notes here. I had, um, been really fascinated by the fact they don't collect LIDAR with the same type of instrument anymore. Where like when we were kind of going along collecting LIDAR data in the past, you would collect it with sort of like that side sweep type of approach. Sort of like you're, you're running a broom down. It's called mm-hmm. linear collection. Mm-hmm. Now they use something called Geiger hmm. selection. And so instead of sweeping from side to side with the instrument, they sweep in a circle. So they end up with um, data that's captured from an angle. And so while the information is the same, what they do is they're able to evaluate features much better. And so their point cloud is not only straight up horizontal, but it also has this uh, oblique component to it. So um, sorry to interrupt, but uh, you just made me think of uh, actually a a really cool use case. Um, So every once in a while here at Precision Hawk, we do a a spotlight on a particular uh, part of the company because we have a a monthly company meeting, kind of like your town hall that you guys have. Um, Uh And the last one was about the energy industry. And our energy guy had this uh, little little display on what they're doing with um, LIDAR in regards to like um, tall uh, like uh, radi- radio towers or like cell towers. Uh-huh. And they use that exact uh, technique that you're talking about in order to sort of uh, get a 3D point cloud or whatever it's called of the area so that you can see your facility and I guess eventually you can sort of tell, uh, you know, where the wear and tear is occurring, stuff like that, which is shot from a drone. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really, it's amazing, you know, with the amount of, um, you know, just being in the field and watching the things change so rapidly now. Uh, it's really cool. Um, the one thing I would say too, that came out of that discussion was the density at which they're capturing data. Um, you know how they were flying the state from east to west and they had those different groupings to acquire the data. Yep. And like four trucks. Yeah. And so that first, uh, those first three sections, I think it's five total. The first three were captured at the QL2 level, but then, and that's two points per square meter. Well, when they get out to the west, they're capturing them at eight points per square meter. Well, um, it's the, the elevation, you know, they, they need it. Yeah. And what's interesting is the deliverable is in eight points per square meter, but the actual data they're gathering is captured at 30 points per square meter. So, I mean, if you think about... Are they how, sampling it down? Yeah, they're downsampling. Okay. So, so they can actually deliver a product that is consumable I because see. it's so dense. Sure. But when they were telling me like, you know, Oh yeah, you know, 30 points per square. I mean, if you think about your desktop and what a square meter looks like, like half your desk covered in 30 points. I mean, the, the detail mm-hmm. is amazing. And so they were talking about what they can do with the different types of downsampling. And they've gotten to the point now where they can identify trees up to 84% accuracy of what type of tree it is. And the only way, the only time they get confused is when there's different types of pines 
or different types of similar leaves. So um, meaning that if you're trying to compare like a white pine with like a, some sort of other type of like loblolly pine or something, I don't know. And um, when you look at the two spectral signature wise, they're different or, or the spectral return or whatever it is, like they have um, really have the ability to get down to it. So if you think about tree inventories and the amount of um, data that you've got there, if you eliminate 84% of the trees you're going to check on, and you just, you know, all of a sudden, the, the person who needs to visit the field has a much cleaner data set to go and take care of yep. and do their, that's really, was just, can you imagine the time saving? So I just thought that yep. was fantastic. Yep. And then, um, yeah, and I just thought it was really interesting from, from that perspective, those two things, the ability to capture at that density and then capture with a different methodology. Mm. And then, and then we went on the, when we went on the boat. And oh, we, you went on the boat. I went on the boat and the boat was great. It was fun, you know, to just kind of like hang around and, and just, you know, yeah, talk to people. Didn't go last year. So, yeah, the thing that was interesting this year, they had a huge storm that kind of whipped up right in the beginning and like took all the deck chairs and threw them to one side. And, you know, <laughs> so we all huddled down underneath until that was done. And then mm-hmm. that was it. So it was a good time. I would definitely go do it again. Highly recommend anyone going, hanging out, participating. Cool. Yeah, good stuff. All right. So kudos to the board. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, that's one of the conferences I have not ever been to. So no, you never been there. Mm-mm, no. Interesting. Mm-mm. Okay. Well, so, there you go. But Hey, I have been to Ezra UC twice. So <laughs> yeah, I have not been there at all ever. I know. Well, that's why I was, that's why I was making the comparison. So yeah. Yeah. It's much better probably going to the Ezra conference. Well, I mean, <laughs> it depends on the sort of scale you're looking for. So, I mean, the thing is you can get all your information in, in, uh, you know, a day at, you know, the one you are at versus you need a, a couple of days. So the other one, just cause there's right. so much content. So, um, so I just wanted to share a little bit about, um, my recent trip to Denver, uh, where I was, uh, I went out there with two coworkers and, uh, we went for, uh, about three days and uh, they went for the workshops. I came in after the workshops. But basically, it was the um, – so, so there's a company out there called Harris Geospatial. And uh, they put out a product called Envy. And we, yeah, they're a large shop. Right. Yep. And uh, we use Envy here at Precision Hawk. And um, it's all about sort of like their it, – it's like their analytics platform essentially. So um, they, they host a Envy analytics symposium. And pretty much – uh, all the big names in the satellite industry and, um, you know, anybody who is in remote sensing, uh, like, so, uh, I wish I could remember what his name is. And if I had the thing in front of me, I would tell you, but the, the main guy, um, he's been in Esri forever, but he's basically in charge of that. He's a director of something, something remote sensing or something. Anyway. So he was there and just, you know, all, all, all the names in the industry and it's, only like 300 people so it's small and it's in like this hotel and and basically everybody's in the same room the whole time and it's presentation after presentation after presentation up on the stage um you know you just ask questions and so the format to me was a lot more um uh sounds very immersive yeah exactly it was very immersive but that being said some of the sessions were exactly what you wanted to be there for and some of them were not 
and <laughs> but most like it was either black or white. You know, they were really really in you're really into it or you really weren't. And you know, you go to a, a conference, you know, even something as small as the NCGIS conference here in Raleigh, you know, you pick what you want to go see. You don't have to go see it all, and you probably don't want to go see it all. Uh, you know, kind of the same thing as Esri, but here you see it all, you know, and uh, you know, out of, out of the stuff that I got out of it, which was great. Um, it, at one point they had, um, it was the first day on the first morning of all the presentations. So everybody's fresh and they literally had, um, I think it was four or five of the big sort of, uh, key players in the satellite industry, at least from my perspective. Um, and that was uh, Digital Globe, Earthcast, Planet Labs, Airbus, and I think that's it. But then, of course, they had the, the, the Esri guy up there as well. Um, and they all sort of just had a – they all had their own little presentations about what they were doing and, and um, you know, how they were trying to uh, improve their technology and their offerings – um, and then they had a panel at the end where uh, this one guy sort of like uh, did a, uh, like a, a moderator style where you it was kind of like the lightning round that they do um, at the NCGIS conference. So you, you basically get a get a question and it kind of goes down the line and they get a chance to respond and so so on and so forth. But it was really cool because from my perspective, I work with all these satellite vendors and the reason why I have to work with several satellite vendors is because not any one particular satellite company is doing something that all the other ones are doing at least at the same capacity or same level. So in other words, one company might be very good at like submeter imagery, but not very good at uh, imagery that's, you know, over five meters or something like that. Interesting. Um, uh, so other other companies, you know, don't have the frequency of revisit to an area where they can continually shoot the same area over and over and over again on a daily basis. Um, but maybe they can do that, but then the resolution isn't as good or something. Like in other words, they're all good at whatever they're good at, and that's what they care about. And there, a lot of them are not interested in expanding beyond that, which I think is totally fine because it's better for somebody like me or any consumer to sort of know what you want, know what you need, and then find the best provider of that service and go directly to that person. And so that's kind of like, that's what Terra Server is all about. I mean, that's why we're a reseller. Uh -huh. um, you know, it's, it's kind of my job to know who that is for each industry and, and the, the use case based on the, you know, the tools in my tool shed, the partnerships that we have set up and on who, who I can use and, and uh, who has the best offering. So anyway, one of the presentations was made by Airbus. And um, Airbus is a, is a French-based company. Um, they are the same company that makes all of the, uh, the airplanes that you'll see. Like, so if you're riding on an Airbus 319, you know, like that's the same company. But this is the, um, the, the, the defense and intelligence side which is basically the, that kind of houses their, their satellites and stuff like that. And um, they had this really cool video that they put up there and everybody, it was like a two minute, like kind of ad ad type video, but it was pretty cool. And um, basically what they're proposing is that by, I think it's the year 2020 or maybe 2022, they're going to have this, um, this plane that is, um, 
it's over 300 meters from wing tip to wing tip. Oh, so, moly. Yeah, it's massive. It's the biggest, it's the biggest uh, airplane like from that dimension ever to be built. And it basically is, uh, it takes off on a runway like anything else, climbs to 60,000 feet, and equipped on each wing is a set of solar panels. And on the bottom of the plane is essentially a, um, a set of cameras. And the plane will sort of uh, circle and fly like a, almost like a lawnmower pattern back and forth over an area wherever it needs to go and stay at 60,000 feet doing the, the passbacks. It's, it's unmanned. That's the other thing. And it'll stay up, up in the sky for about nine months at a time. And while it's up there, it can image um, the ground getting about 10 centimeters in resolution, which is crazy, and live, live 10 centimeters imagery, which is fan. It's just it's it's phenomenal to even think about. Yeah. So it's it it can it can be quite a game changer, especially in my industry where a lot of the clients that come to me are looking for some meter. So, but I just thought I'd share that. It's just really really cool. If I had the video, I would post it, but. Unfortunately, yeah, that's pretty freaking awesome. That's a lot. Sounds to me a lot of what um, Mark Zuckerberg's trying to do with um, getting uh, internet service to people by putting these planes up in the sky and just having mm-hmm. them kind of float around and office um, service that mobile internet platform. Right. For, so theoretically, you could have cell service or internet uh, anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere. So. Yep. Really interesting. Yeah, well, that's cool, man. Sounds like we got a lot of good, a uh, lot of good encounters with. Um, you know, new stuff going on lately. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, uh, a lot of good content out there, a lot of new stuff to learn and, and whatnot. So, yep. All right. Well, I don't know of anything coming up. Do you know anything? I know I'm going, well, I take it back. I know I'm going to the ACEC conference coming up and also the AWWA conference. Um, I'm actually presenting at that one. Which one's that one? Um, American Waterworks Association. That's going to be like sprinklers and, uh, you know, like uh, where you dump buckets on kids and stuff. It's for people who cry a lot, the Waterworks (laughs) Association. (laughs) No, it's for uh, people who provide, uh, you know, water to their communities, like the water utilities or water companies. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'll be there doing their thing. Um, But yeah, we're going to go through the town and carry a critical water line project that you worked on while you were with us. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to do that. And then the ACEC conference is a day long event that's um, sort of like, the engineers, uh, essentially their constituency gets together for a day in the area. And so they're going to have that. Mm-hmm. So I'll be there and just kind of rummage around and have a booth. I think I'll participate in that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The old booth. Okay. Yeah. Well, Fire cool. the booth up. <laughs> yeah. I don't, um, I don't have anything on the agenda. Uh, there was a chance that I was actually going to be in Toronto today. Um, but that fell through. Um, we still sent a team up there and have a booth and whatnot, but it was a, uh, insurance conference. So interesting. Been, yeah. Was, we thought that the timing would have been really good, but, um, with the way, uh, funding and everything's going, uh, we're just gonna kind of hold off and, uh, I'll see what else I can get to probably starting, uh, next year. Um, I know there's a, uh, a small sat, they call it small sat conference in Utah, uh, that'll be, I think it's in August of next year. So, but I get out to that if I can. So see more of these 
Cool. Well, cool two minute videos about what's coming in the future. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's funny. Yeah. All right. Um, very good. All right. Well, uh, until next time, hope everyone has a good, uh, fall. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be hot here for another two days. And then we're finally going to get fall in North Carolina. Thank God. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Oh. <laughs> all right all right man very good the theme music to this podcast was performed by john mckenzie baxter you can find more of his music on youtube by searching kenzie baxter that's k-e-n-z-i-e space b-a-x-t-e-r be sure to follow the capital map and crew on twitter at 540 cmc we're also on facebook and linkedin contact the show, please email us at capitalmappingcrew at gmail.com. That's capital with an O.